We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? Whatever, Nick. I don't like the number right anyway. <laughs> the streak is finally over. It ended at seven straight. They lost to the Pacers tonight, 114, 106. You know, really rough start to the game, but they fought back, made it close. Jack, what were your initial thoughts about this one and the streak ending? Yeah, I mean, it's disappointing to see the streak end, but to close this one out in the fashion that we did, come out in the second half with some, you know, real energy, you know, absolutely changed the sort of schemes a little bit on both ends of the floor and just executing and, and you know, forcing the paces into some tougher shots. And uh, at the end of the day, we just didn't have that little extra oomph that we needed from a guy, whether it was Dinwiddie or D'Lo. Uh, it was Rodion's night. Uh, that was certainly the case. I might have to do a player thread on him. But, you know, I, I think most of the night, you're not going to win many games if Rodion's Kuritz is your best best guy on the floor uh, for, the, uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. But n- nonetheless, it was still uh, a solid performance and it gives them confidence, you know, heading into other games going forward uh, as we look to get ourselves back on the winner's list. Yeah, it, it sucks the streak ended, but it wasn't necessarily an upsetting loss. You know, they came back, they had a shot in the game after a terrible start, you know, not taking care of the ball. The adjustment to play the zone from the second quarter on was pretty big. Like you said, Jack, I think there's plenty of positives. There, obviously, the negatives that some of the guys didn't play great. But before we dive in deep, uh, just a quick reminder, check out the buzz, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But Jack, let's start with the point guards. You know, obviously, we talked about on a lot of these shows, Dinwiddie and D'Angelo were playing great over the seven-game win streak, very efficient, scoring the ball, passing the ball. Tonight, they combined for just 18 points, only three points from D'Lo. They did have 18 assists, but what was your feel for those two in this game? Yeah, I mean, we'll start with D'Lo, Nick. It just seemed that the game wasn't coming to him. Early on, it looked like, you know, there was a lot of assists being made. I think like eight of the night, or 14 or 15 of the net shots were assisted, you know, off the top of my head as I was 20. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, D'Lo and Spencer were big parts of that, but they couldn't get their own individual offensive game going. 
And as the Nets went on the run, it was some of the guys like, you know, Jared Dudley, Ronda Hollis Jefferson, Rodion's Kurtz that sort of got us back into it. So it was, it was certainly one of uh, D'Lo's poor performances of the season. I think any fan that would be saying, why wasn't D'Lo out there in the fourth, wasn't watching the whole game. He didn't deserve to be out there. And that is worrying going forward. I know a lot of Nets pundits say that, but I know it's worrying for us as well. But Spencer, what, before we move on, what were your thoughts on D'Lo's game, Nick? Yeah, I think D'Angelo just wasn't crisp. And even the passes and some of the assists he had in that first quarter, the passes weren't necessarily on target perfectly. You know what I mean? It's just he wasn't fully engaged. I don't know what was going on, especially coming off some big games. You think he'd kind of get into it a little bit more. It is concerning. Hopefully he can bounce back and kind of put himself in a better position. Like you said, Jack, it just just wasn't his night in a – even like the jump shot when he took it, it just didn't feel like it was going in. Just you didn't get those positive vibes and you didn't necessarily get all those hustle plays. He also was beat a couple of times by, you know, lesser guards on the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, there was a couple of times I thought like the three was looking okay, but there was some, you know, uh, engaging with a few fans on the Nets Republic Twitter page. They were asking like, why isn't D'Lo making his layups? And I'm like, D'Lo is horrible inside the paint unless it's floater range. He is not a good layup finisher. And, and you know, outside of Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, D'Angelo just doesn't have that game about him, which is a little bit of a worry when it comes to a point guard. It's similar to sort of a Lonzo ball type, but we won't talk about Lonzo. But, you know, he was minus 11 on the night, by far the worst Nets player in terms of plus minus. I know you can take that of what you will, but I think it is reflective of how poor he was tonight. And he didn't really add much in terms of, you know, obviously three points, you know, nine assists was nice. But, you know, like you said, they weren't necessarily the, the smoothest of passes. And four turnovers. And four turnovers as well. And, and I mean, didn't when he had four turnovers himself as well, but he at least was able to get to the line eight times and made six of eight from the line. And uh, he hit a couple of big shots here and there, but it certainly wasn't his best performance. But like we've sort of said uh, before, and we're going to continue to harp on it, when Spencer is bad, he still does good things, i.e. getting to the line, making a three here or there, you know, get it out, forcing the team into foul trouble, uh, the opposing team into foul trouble. So uh, what were your thoughts on, on his performance? Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you just said, Jack. You know, he wasn't great, but he still had a positive impact on the game. You know, he looked more like a backup guard than an all-star this game, but that's okay. You know, but like we said, I think if one of these guys has a good game, you know, the Nets are probably in better shape to win this one. If both these guys have not necessarily their best games, it's hard for them to win, especially when Levert's not there. Yeah, you need one of your top three players to play well. I think, you know, if you're any team in the league, let alone, um, you know, a team of the Brooklyn Nets stature, you know, if Giannis doesn't play well, if LeBron doesn't play well, those teams are going to lose. The Lakers are going to lose. The Bucks are going to lose when your star players aren't playing well. Our two quote-unquote stars, the stars of our team, didn't play well, which is generally going to lead to a loss. But our depth certainly did everything uh, in their power to sort of uh, change that. Yeah, and talking about a young star, I guess, if you want to call him that, Ronion's Karutz. Amazing game, career game, 24 points, 6 of 11 from the field, 4 of 5 from deep, 8 of 10 from the free throw line, 3 rebounds. You felt him all over the floor, had a couple deflections in there. Very active, impressive night from him. Look at who, Nick? Look at who? <laughs> I mean, Rodion's baby, please. It was one of the most scintillating performances we've seen from a, a Nets rookie, in, you know, in, in my memory at least. I mean, obviously we've seen plenty of great nights from Jared Allen and Carol Slavert as well, but... There was just something about this. You know, he led the team in minutes, you know, led the team in free throw attempts. Um, you know, he was just making plays and you could just feel the energy that he brings to the Brooklyn Nets crowd. And I could feel the buzz, uh, for lack of a better term, <laughs> uh, down, down here in Melbourne. He was, you know, absolutely sensational. I tweeted out, I think um, I'm going to give myself a little bit of a pat on the back for this. 
there aren't enough English adjectives to describe how good he is. I'm going to have to start learning Latvian. <laughs> there you go, Jack. That's your uh, that's your winter project. <laughs> there we go. But uh, I agree. I mean, Rodion's look great offensively, just driving, confident, knocking down the shot. Also, very impressive with him defensively. We didn't see it as much in the second half. He was on Victor Oladipo some of that first half, and I thought he did a great job. And his length was very effective in that zone defense that the Nets ran from the second quarter to midway through the fourth. A couple of games ago, Nick, we were talking about how Rodion's, you know, I think it was the Wizards game uh, where we had to win and we were sort of advocating for him to come back. Did made some nice plays in about 15 minutes or so. And we're like, look, he doesn't look ready yet on the defensive end. That was like a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and tonight he was probably our best defensive player. You know, you could argue Jared Allen had a, a few nice plays here and there. But Rodion's in terms of his one-on-one defense is still in the block. He was just making the Indiana team uh, just forced into bad looks. You know, his length was just irritating. He's just, um, he's going to be special. If, if he can continue to grow obviously on both sides of the floor. It's just, who knows what the ceiling is for this kid. And, you know, at pick 40, you know, I think outside of Alonzo Trier, he's probably the massive steal of this draft. And one thing he does have on his side, uh, not to, you know, uh, put it put it down, damper on uh, Knicks fans. Uh, the fact is Alonzo Trier is 23 years old. Rodion's court is only 20. So uh, plenty of years ahead for Rodion's. And low key, I think Rodion's has a better physical skill set. You know, the length and the athleticism at his size is very impressive. One thing he does incredibly well for a young player, and you don't necessarily see this, he uses those long strides to get to the rim, especially when he has a smaller guy on him. He almost uses his body as a shield, and he's like a master of that finger roll and underhand layup shot. Yeah, he's made that a real weapon of his, and he's, you know, had some nice dunks in this win streak as well. He's got this real aggression about him. He just has, you know, no fear, you know, uh, it, and it's rare to sort of see that. He plays with, you know, this real unencumbered freedom that we don't really see from, you know, a lot of players. We sort of talk about, and you know, uh, D'Angelo Russell, that he, we can sort of see him overthinking the game. Whereas Rodion just goes out there and, and he just hoops. Like, you know, for lack of a better term, he just goes out there, plays the game, just does the right things. And if he makes the mistakes, he's got a very short-term memory and is just able to move on. So um, it's going to be, like I think Coach Kenny said post-game, uh, our boy Brian Fonseca said, it's going to be tough to keep keep him off the floor and tough to keep him out of the stars if he keeps playing like this. Yeah, and talking about that, Jack, before we move on to the other players, do you think he deserves to start the rest of the season if he keeps this up, even when Alan Crabb is back and even maybe when Karis LeVert's back if they swap around some roles? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to sort of forecast in it because I know um, how much it, it would be. Maybe they bring Alan Crabb off the bench with the with the injury. I think that that could be... That was the thing that happened early in the season as well. So I think that that could probably be the case. And if Rodion keeps playing well, then Alan Crabb is going to have to be the one to force himself into the starting lineup. Um, and I think Rondé as well, we saw tonight, he made some you know nice plays on both ends of the floor. His you know, aggression and, and being able to push it in transition. But that hard fall, you know, I, I would expect him uh, possibly to miss the game. I, I mean, I'd be leaning towards the fact that he probably would. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens uh, before the game, what we hear from the coaches and such. Yeah, it definitely was a rough fall for Rondé. Hopefully he's doing okay, you know, putting all that weight on your arm. Before we move on to Rondé, talking about Crab, do you think this was a game where they missed Crab and his spacing because the Pacers were trapping so much, putting so much pressure on all the guards? Uh, to an extent, because I still think, like we had Jared Dudley hitting his threes, Damari hit a few threes, Rodion's and Joe, they all hit three threes or more. So in terms, I mean, in, in terms of just the, the general, his general presence, I agree with that, Nick. But I don't think that that was necessarily an issue for us. I think 
Um, the the Pacers have an elite defense. Uh, I don't think that can be underestimated. Uh, a lot of you know general NBA podcasts have started to give them the credit. Our boy Corey Waldron knows no other how good that they are on the def- defensive end. They have some size, they have aggression, they have physicality. They get away with a few calls here and there, but they've proven themselves to be an elite defensive team, not just in the Eastern Conference, but in the league. Uh, you know, guys like Victor Oladipo, Miles Turner, Sabonis, they have real size about them and they just make you make you force you into bad shots or make you make those tough shots. And, and, and a couple of times we did, but they're a very, very good team. And the Nets were able to make some adjustments uh, on the fly. And I think a lot of credit goes to Coach Kenny with that. And I think that's the positive going forward, that this whole team, not just the players, but the coaching staff is starting to really adjust, really uh, sort of, uh, trust their instincts and just go with what they think is going to work. Make those changes that could, because if things aren't going well, you need to change stuff. You can't stick with the status quo. Um, so it, it was a positive to see uh, from the coaches and the players alike. Yeah, and just to throw something about the defense, I thought Miles Turner was extremely impressive. Not only shot blocking the paint, but his ability to recover on a lot of those pick and rolls. That really disrupted the Nets offense where they've been getting a lot of penetration. And a lot of credit goes to him and the Pacers guards for fighting a lot throughout the game. But like you said, the adjustments coming from the coaching staff, not only with his own defense, which we mentioned, but also offensively, there just seemed to be a lot more movement, a lot of more off-ball screens, getting guys open, especially at the, the top of the key. So very impressive stuff from the coaching staff. And I know people still complained about them about this game. I don't really know how. But I thought it was a nice job for them, and it's a building block moving forward. Yeah, it really is. It's something to say that look, we've got these things up our sleeve. If it's not working, we talked about it last season on the Buzz. I believe it was the Houston Rockets game where they went to the. Obviously, at that stage, we weren't a, as uh, as credible a team. We didn't have the wins under our belt, so to speak. We didn't have the depth of guys like uh, Jared Dudley and Ed Davis. But we threw the the zone out there. It worked for a few minutes. We threw it out for a quarter tonight, and it worked. We went back to the man-to-man and, you know, we struggled a little bit. But again, there were some lapses in the zone occasionally in terms of communication. Guys on switching, you know, Joe Harris up the top was, you know, I'm going to have to criticize him because he deserved it. And there were a couple of times where he just didn't make the right rotation. So uh, you need to be really on in the zone. I mean, it's more of a college sort of style of defense, uh, but it worked. And, and I think that that's a positive going forward because the Nets aren't a, a very capable defensive team in terms of our talent right now especially in the absence of Carol Savert. So to have these different little things up our sleeve, it's going to be a positive because, you know, uh, there are going to be some really good offensive teams we come up against. Yeah, and exactly, Jack. I think for not running the zone, obviously, almost at all, you know, other than that Rockets game, which you just mentioned, I thought the communication was an issue sometimes. There was a couple of rotations, you know, if it was on Joe or maybe it was on the other guy, you're not really sure what the scheme is that they're running. But the Pacers started to figure it out, and they had to switch back to man-to-man. But it was a great adjustment because they were really dominating inside, and what the zone did is kind of forced them to take some some bad threes. And they're not a bad three-point shooting team at all. I think they're top ten in the league. But just forcing them to not get those layups that they are getting in the first quarter. And I thought the first quarter was a big problem in this game and that's kind of put the nets in a hole where the pacers won 37 27 what do you think about that first quarter the whole first half nick i think it was more the fact that the nets weren't engaged enough on the defensive end we were making shots enough you know we weren't necessarily getting to the line of heat but we started to improve on that but that we were giving the pacers just way too easy of looks you know they were shooting up over 60 percent and then over 52 percent at the half you know we started to sort of switch things on the zone help with that so, I mean, if you, you change a couple of things in those first two quarters, the Nets might get the win. But at the same time, the Pacers are a very good team and they are going to punish you if you're not doing the right things. They have the talent on, on both ends of the floor. Sabonis is a very good player. Miles Turner is a very good player. Uh, Victor Oladipo is a very good player. These guys are going to punish you if you're not doing the right things. 
Yeah, exactly. And they're coming off a two-game losing streak, and they're a, looked a little bit more desperate than the Nets, who are obviously were on a seven-game winning streak. What do you think about that turnover battle? And obviously, in the first quarter, they had six uh, six first quarter turnovers, sec, uh, six second quarter uh, turnovers as well. Man, it was sloppy, Nick. It, it was real sloppy. Uh, I think that there, a lot of them could have been cut down, but at the same time, you know, uh, I think the turnover battle is wasn't necessarily the thing that lost us the game. Um, I, I think that there were a few careless and unnecessary ones. But I think in terms of the live ball turnovers that we've spoken about in the second half, those were cut down a, a little bit more. And when they did occur on some occasions, they were made up for by, you know, backed up on the other end with good defensive sets. So yeah. I think that in that first half, we didn't have the engagement enough defensively to sort of, you know, make up for it, whereas we did in the second half. So, yeah, it's a lofty number. And, you know, I think it's probably one of the highest numbers we've had in quite a while uh, because of the different sort of, uh, schemes we've been playing on both ends of the floor, but uh, I think that there were some other things that were a little more uh, stood out, so to speak. Yeah, I think uh, in the second half, it wasn't quite as important, like you mentioned, because of the transition defense when they did turn the ball over, but I felt like in the first half, since they weren't playing great defense, that really hurt them. Having six turnovers in both quarters, I thought was just, you know, a negative, but like you said, in the second half, not as big a deal, but in that first half, I think they just dug themselves in a hole against a good team in Indiana that you can't really afford to do. No, you can't. You can't do that against one of the top four, top three, whatever you want to call them. They're one of the form teams in the NBA. And Victor, Oladipo, Victor Oladipo is back and he's balling. He is an absolutely sensational player, one of the best guards in the league. So, yeah, you can't get yourself into that hole. But the fact that we could crawl us, uh, claw ourselves back into the into the game was uh, a really nice sign. But, uh, Nick, uh, is Coach Kenny still angry? Does he need to, you know? <laughs> I was just getting to that, Jack. That was definitely maybe the angriest we've ever seen Kenny. You know, obviously he definitely had some curse words for, I think it was Tony Brothers or, you know, maybe all the refs. I'm not sure. And it came after one of the missed calls on the other end that he felt like the Nets should have got, especially with the Pacers getting some of those calls. I know I personally enjoyed it, and I liked the coach showing emotion. I even liked when uh, Rondé got a tech earlier in the, I think it was the first half. What were your thoughts on it? Couple of other efforts, good aggression. <laughs> um, we saw the the tweet out from our boy again, Brian Fonseca. He sort of reacted to the ejection, and he said, and I quote Coach Kenny on this: "It was an intense game, tough game. Just got emotional. I said my piece to the referee during the game. He didn't like what I said. A lot of short sentences there from Coach Kenny. We know what's really going on inside his head. Um, but I remember saying to you off wax, he's going to be gone the political route. We know what Coach Kenny loves to say, but." Uh, maybe uh, in tomorrow's when he's, he's had a little bit time to chill, he might be able to go, okay, well, maybe I, need, I could chill out a little bit more. But uh, he certainly went Hulk mode. Yeah, he did. He did. He was a mini Hulk out there. I mean, I wonder what would have happened if Spencer Dinwiddie, Jock Vaughn, and all the other assistants didn't kind of hold him back. He looked angry. And uh, like it, the fact that it takes like three massive grown men to hold one guy back. I love that Spencer's always seems to be the guy that somehow calms Coach Kenny down. I think, um, who was, oh no, it was Car no, Spencer was the one that said Karras is um, the coach's pet. So for Spencer to be the one, it's like, dude, all right. Uh, because a lot of the time, Spencer's the one that's complaining on the court. He's almost like a reflection of his coach in many ways in, in the way that he pulls his heart out on the floor. So, I mean, we, we can't hate, we love our coach. We love our coach when he's showing that emotion out there. Um, because it's, it's a lot of it is how we're feeling. Um, at times, you know, maybe the text could, could have been uh, cut out a little bit because, you know, in a tight sort of game, those, uh, those baskets, uh, those points uh, are, are all invaluable. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I think it's, it's more a positive than a negative.
Yeah, and I I do agree. I think, you know, at that point, he probably thought the game was maybe close to over because they didn't get that call. Or maybe you do one of those, like, rants or one of those angry things and get ejected a little bit earlier in the game if you're trying to motivate your team because it seemed like the players really appreciated it. You saw all the guys give him a pat on the back and whatnot as he was walking out. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a way, another way to endear yourselves to, to the players uh, going forward. Um, so, I mean, it's not that he needs to endear himself more um, to, to the players because they, they love playing for Coach Kenny. We know that um, uh, even from the outside looking in. But uh, I, I, I enjoyed it, um, but I, I don't want it to necessarily be a regular occurrence. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We would worry about his uh, heart rate if it became a regular occurrence. Exactly, exactly. But uh, talking about some older guys that maybe be coaches in the future, Jared Dudley, Damari Carroll, both had solid games, 10 points from Dudley, 16 points from Damari. What would you like from those two? And Jared Dudley hitting the three ball. Uh, I think that's the number one thing for me. When Jared Dudley's hitting it, and I think the last couple of games he has been, then you know you can keep him out there for you know 20 minutes plus. When he's not hitting it, he doesn't necessarily have that sort of same gravity when he's on the floor. You know, he made a couple of nice defensive plays as well. That strip on uh, Thaddeus Young was really nice as well. The, he, when he was out there, he helped start, you know, uh, helped start that run. He was a really big focal point. And we talked about him uh, a little, touched on him a little bit on that Lakers performance as well. So, uh, and I put out uh, a tweet for Nets Public as well. Make sure you're following them at, o- and at OGG Basketballs uh, on Twitter. The fact that he's, his minutes have been cut has allowed him to just go all out when he's out on the floor, you know, because he's a guy that is in the twilight of his career, but is still performing capably for those 10 to 18 sort of minutes, however many you want to call it, whenever he's out there, because he, he adds value off the court. But when he's on the court, making the three, showing the leadership, there was a couple of dinky little fouls that he gave away, but uh, he was certainly uh, a net positive tonight, uh, Jared Dudley. Yeah, like you said, Jack, he helped get the run going. Even I felt like in the first half, when the Nets didn't necessarily go on a run, but they kind of staled the Pacers from kind of breaking away. And I thought Dudley had some impact with that. Along with the other vets, I thought Damari Carroll really stepped up when he felt like the team wasn't getting scoring, scoring 16 points. You know, Ed Davis always doing his thing inside, being very aggressive. So I was happy with the vets, and it was definitely a luxury having them come in and bring some physicality to the game. Yeah, sometimes it's just going to require the insertion of, of, of guys like the, the ones that you mentioned, Nick. You know, Tamari was able to you know, get a few buckets, you know, despite the fact that Indiana was still playing some quality defense. And you could see the, the energy in him. You know, he looked a little bit more spry, had a little bit more zip in his step. The three was falling a little bit more. So, yeah, I think Tamari is going to be uh, always a, not an X factor in, in a way that Rodion's Kuritz is, but an X factor in the way that he can just change the game. And I think a lot of these guys are. We know Ed Davis is with his rebounding. He's an absolute monster on that end of the floor. And Jared Dudley is with his sort of leadership, you know. I think X factor is probably a little bit of a generalized term, but they provide different qualities that really add something to this Nets team. Yeah, they can definitely boost the Nets in a certain category. All three of them kind of bring something different, like you said, Jack. I mean, we might as well just touch on everybody on the team since we're almost there. <laughs> Why not? Uh, Joe Harris, I thought, had a really nice game, even though the Pacers, it felt like, sent a lot of attention his way. He was able, in that first half, he was barely able to get any open looks, find his shot at all. He, he was, I think, had two or three uh, field goal attempts. But in the second half, the offense was clicking a little bit more, and you know Joey Buckets is going to get his own. Um, it's just, it seems like his shot has gotten quicker. Yeah. I don't know how. But the, I think that comes with confidence as well. And he is 
You know, I think easily a top five uh, three-point shooter in the league. And he's starting to get that attention from the defense, like you mentioned, Nick. He's starting to uh, start to get the, the gravity from, from uh, the defensive side because, you know, he is he's money. He's money and he can make plays. He's, you know, passing well. Um, I, I think Joe Harris, on any night, I don't think we've seen necessarily, you know, I, I probably could count on, on one or two fingers how many bad games Joe Harris has had this season. And, and tonight, you know, double digits, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists. Uh, and obviously a couple of threes there. I mean, I'd love to see what his effective field goal percentage is uh, after tonight's performance and that three-point percentage too. Yeah, we know that he's shooting, I think, like above 50% on the season from the field, and then he's one of the top guys in three-point percentage. So Joe Harris, he's developed in such, into such a nice basketball player, not just a three-point shooter. I just love the way his game is fully developed. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm sure plenty of people know, but uh, he is my favorite player. So uh, <laughs> that's uh, just another little tidbit for the maybe first-time listeners of the Brooklyn Buzz. Yes, as always, you know, got to show Joe some love. Now, talking Jared Allen, do you think that he struggles against Miles Turner? You know, he hasn't necessarily had any great games against Turner. Yeah, I mean, um, before the game, uh, he was on NBA TV and he was getting asked by Jared Greenberg, you know, does he want to get this one up on Miles Turner? Does he want to get the block on him? He got that early block and it was a, it was another nice one. Um but I think Miles Turner just has a more well-rounded game and a little bit more experience than a guy like Jared Allen does. A little bit more physicality uh, and a little bit more aggression. And his three ball is a lot smoother. So I think that Miles Turner quite simply is just a more well, more well-rounded player than Jared Allen is. I think Jared Allen uh, can probably uh, impact in, in different and similar ways. But you know, I think if you're looking at a mold for for a guy going forward, you know, Jared Allen could could do worse than a guy like Miles Turner because I think he is developing developing himself into one of the more impactful centers in the league today. Yeah, I think defensively Turner is definitely, you know, taking the next level in his game. I think offensively there's still a little concern with his consistency. I know talking to some Pacer fans, including our boy Corey Waldron, you know, there's some games where he plays really big and in other games where you don't feel his impact. But I feel like because he kind of like mentors Jared Allen, he feels like he has the muscle edge on him. And you see him really, you know, out out physical him in the paint a little bit. And you don't necessarily see that a ton with Miles Turner against other, you know, centers. So I felt like, you know, Allen just couldn't really man up against him. No, it's all like a big bro, little bro thing. Yeah, exactly. You sort of, even though my brother is like 20 kilos or however many pounds that is, sorry for our, our American listeners, <laughs> but yeah, he's a, a lot larger than me, a bit taller than me, but I still, I don't necessarily bully him. I just give him the blow by because uh, I've got a bit of a quicker step. But and I think that's what Jared Allen has done and has been able to recognize against other sort of guys. But Miles Turner isn't necessarily the most physically imposing guy, but he made his presence felt and he's a very good player and despite the fact that, you know, he's rebounding and, and a lot of other areas uh, need improvement, uh, he's going to be a good player and he's earning his keep on that contract. And talking on the Pacers side a little bit, two ex-Nets definitely got the revenge tonight. Bogdanovich, 17 points, 5-8 from the field, 3-4 of four from three. You know, Thaddeus Young had his presence fell, 21 points, 9-16. of 16. Yeah, you just see a lot of Nets style in, in the way that the Pacers play uh, in, in some sort of ways. We we just go, oh, man, imagine having a Boyan on this team. Or imagine having Thad on this team. But at the same time, if you, if you still have those guys on this team, you don't have Jared Allen and Kyle Savert. So, like I've mentioned... Jared Allen and Kyle Savert every day. I mean, yeah, like I've said before, it's it's just a win-win situation for both teams. And the, both of those guys have been absolutely crucial for the Pacers in their success. Boyan has, you know, gone, you know, steps forward in terms of his uh, offensive offensive game, especially from the perimeter. He's been, you know, absolutely wonderful there. And and Thaddeus Young, 
uh, is a very, very underrated defender and could be a sneaky chance for an all-defensive team with how he is developing. You know, he hit a couple of open threes as well. Uh, I like the, I always like the lefties as well. So he's just a, a real treat to watch. And I think he's starting to get a, a, a little more credit that he's deserving. Yeah, I think it was a week or two we got a NBA Player of the Week for the Eastern Conference. So Thad Young is always a guy that I've liked as well. You always love his hustle, and I think they mentioned this on the broadcast. You feel like he can make layups with his eyes closed. Yeah, and making just those simple plays is what – and obviously he's got a contract going forward. Um, that, that He's an unrestricted free agent. So if he continues playing the way that he is, he's going to get some, uh, some big money. Yeah, for sure. Jack, any other thoughts on the Pacers game? Uh, Nick, I think it was uh, positive overall with some things to work on and it was Rodion's night and um, I think I'll be uh, jumping on when that play-by-play is available. You guys can check it out at the J-Man JBT. I'll uh, be, be sure to compile all of uh, Rodion's best play from another career night from the Rook. Yeah, it's going to be a long thread too because there was a lot of great plays. On oh, oh yeah, it's going to take a while. So, but uh, yeah, I like you said, Jack, I think there's plenty of positives and I think it was almost a good loss for the Nets in the sense that there's plenty of things they can learn from, from this game where, you know, we need to play from the get-go. We can't have a bad first quarter against a good team if we want to be respected in the East and in the playoff race. Yeah, you've got to reassess, uh, take the good things, take the bad things, you know, Sean Marks sort of mentality, the culture that they've set um, and, and move on to the next one. Yeah, so uh, also positive news, uh, the Orlando Magic, I think, lost tonight. So the Nets are still a half game behind them. But the Heat moved above Orlando. So the Nets are one game back of the Heat, two games back of Detroit, and two and a half games back of Charlotte. So, you know, didn't really lose a lot of ground in the playoff race. You know, we're going to keep on it pretty much every episode now since it's so tight. Yes, it's uh, it's certainly going to be one to watch, and it's going to be a key storyline going forward. Jack, just quick thoughts on the Phoenix game that's coming up on Sunday. How do you think the Nets are going to react to this, to a Phoenix team that's definitely stepped up lately, especially after that Kelly Oubre trade? Yeah, they've been uh, a little bit crafty, a little bit underrated in how they've been playing. Kelly Oubre's a nice little fit for them. You know, Devin Booker does Devin Booker things. I think DeAndre Ayton is starting to make a real impact, and, and um, we know he's going to get his numbers. But I'm going to be looking at that matchup between him and Jared Allen. Jared Allen has the experience. He should be able to, you know, make, uh, uh, DeAndre have a, a more uncomfortable night, but there's going to be a lot of things. And if the Nets aren't engaged, you know, the Celtics lost to this Phoenix Suns team. And we know how good the, the Boston Celtics are. So the Nets are going to have their, have their game on. And I mean, having a guy like Jared Dudley, a former Phoenix Sun, doesn't hurt either. But, uh, you know, it's not going to be an easy win. Yeah. One positive for the Nets is the Phoenix Suns will be playing the second night of a back to back. So that's always a plus. They have to play uh, Washington tomorrow night. Always helps. Always helps. But anything else, Jack? Do you want to get some other topics in there? I know you had some things to mention. Uh, there was, I mean, for those that haven't seen it, the, the Ed Davis article on, on CBS Sports where he was just talking about you know his rise from college and uh, how beloved he is from guys around the league, from some of his best friends in Wayne Ellington, DeMar DeRozan, who is uh, the godfather to his daughter, and uh, DeMar is the godfather to Ed Davis's two young kids as well. Uh, it just shows, and Kenny had nothing but glowing praise for him. Uh, it's going to be interesting because uh, free agency is going to be uh, a fun time for the Brooklyn Nets, and I think they could do worse than re-signing Ed Davis to a team-friendly deal because there will be plenty of other teams and plenty of other former teammates that are going to be going, good, God, if he's, this guy's not restricted for it, let's get him. We know what he can do. So uh, I think Ed Davis has been a wonderful addition, and I think guys go check that out. Um, and, and anything Ed Davis uh, is doing this season, uh, I, have, I don't have a bad word to say about him. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And we talked about it in the summer when they signed him, how upset Portland players, Portland fans, and even Portland media was that he was leaving the team. So having him in Brooklyn has been a blessing. He's brought a lot on the court, also done some off-the-court stuff. Just a great guy to have in the organization. Yeah, I mean, Evan Turner and Alfred Camino, you know, he's still text, he's still in a group chat with them. He apparently chats to Damian Lillard two to, uh, one or, once or twice a week still. Um, so, I mean, this is just one of the guys that's going to be in the league for a very long time because he's endeared himself to plenty of teams, plenty of players, and plenty of organizations. So, um, we wish uh, Davis all the success going uh, forward this season as well because he's had a nice little impact uh, on Jared Allen. I see. Those two as, as somewhat a kindred spirits, you know, sort of low-key guys, got a little bit of aggression about him. And, you know, I think uh, Jared Allen's rebounding game has benefited from having uh, a guy like Ed Davis be the sort of mentor and looking to him. Yeah, for sure, especially with a team like the Nets who shoot a lot of threes. You know, there tends to be a lot of long rebounds and opportunities for the center to get some tip-outs, which Ed Davis has done great. We've seen Jared Allen do it a couple times this season. He could pick up a little bit more. But, Jack, what about the other news we heard? Uh, I believe it was yesterday that there's been some in interest in Kenneth for Reed. Yeah, um, surprising to me a little bit, Nick. I mean, Sham Serrano. You I can, was kind of shocked. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we saw our boy GNYR put it out there. I'm just like, okay, why not? Um, I'd be, it'd be interesting to think, like, what teams would want a guy like Kenneth Reed because, I mean, in terms of his general skill set there, I mean, it's not necessarily the most coveted position in the NBA, but... He can do some things well, whether it's a, a, a contract sort of situation. They want him to just have that contract flexibility, get him off the books uh, or, or something around that sort of realm. Um, I can't really think of any off the top of my head, but if there are some um, buyers in that situation, you better believe that Sean Marks is listening. I mean, if the Nets could get a second-round pick for Kenneth Reed, that would be amazing. You know, I think it's unlikely. I think what you brought up, Jack, the contract situation, the fact he's making 13.7 mil, you know, maybe teams are calling and trying to get some swap and some cap relief, but I don't think the Nets would be interested in that. They'd rather kind of let him expire or just buy him out. But if there's a, a way for them to get an asset without taking on salary, I think they'll definitely do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, could you look at the, the Houston Rockets? Could they use some, you know, extra depth with – Clint Capella in the front court. They don't necessarily have uh, many guys there with the, the Chris Paul injury as well. I mean, that's one that just sort of came to me at the top, off the top of my head. Could the 76ers use a guy in, in their front court? Because Amir Johnson certainly hasn't been playing great basketball. Mike Mascala is okay. Joel Embiid is okay. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's some teams out there that could possibly use his skill set. Um, but, you know, I can't necessarily think of too many uh, other than the ones that I just mentioned. Yeah, somebody would either have to have real interest in him or be desperate. Because yeah, he hasn't um, really showed anything in Brooklyn, obviously. He hasn't gotten a lot of minutes, but he didn't really show a ton in Denver the last few seasons either. Yeah, I mean, both of those teams, uh, you could argue that they have, uh, they, they are desperate. They want to, you know, uh, push for the Sixers. They want to push into that uh, home court advantage in the top four seed. And for the Rockets, they need to stay afloat. And, you know, just adding... Uh, another guy on that roster that can play NBA-ready basketball. We know uh, Kenneth Farid hasn't had the opportunity this season. Uh, maybe if he's given that opportunity in a team like Houston, um, you know, we could get even just a, a lesser known, like a, an Isaiah Hartenstein, you know, maybe a, a swap there uh, of sorts to sort of get a, a, a That's got an interest in him in the year he was drafted. So, I mean, the, the, there's some things that make sense. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily forecasting anything, just sort of spitballing with my boy here. But, um, <laughs> Well, there's plenty of things that can happen in this NBA that um, you know, we haven't expected and, and they generally do come to fruition.
Yeah, and who knows? He could just be a trade filler. You know, being that contractor, the Nets are trying to bring somebody in and they're not necessarily giving up a ton of assets, maybe using one of those picks because it has been mentioned that they could be buyers at this deadline as well. Yeah, there's uh, plenty of situations uh, where we could see Kenneth Freed in a trade or a, or a dumping or whatever it might be. Um, but uh, it'll certainly be uh, watch this space. Exactly. And as always, guys, we really appreciate you listening. We appreciate all the support we've been getting on Twitter. It means a lot to us. It's helping the buzz grow. You know, you guys are loving the show. We're loving producing. And as always, Jack, a pleasure talking Nets with you. Thank you, fans. And as always, check us out. iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.